Are you ready? We ready. We ready. We ready for y'all. Good morning on this Friday, October 2nd, 2020. Game day. Welcome to episode 4 of 11 of the podcast, We Ready. The story of an inner city high school football coach and his attempt to make positive changes in young men while at the same time raising a family. Today's episode, Turning It Around. How in year three of my program, we were able to turn things around and begin to win some football games. Break down! Some observations from this past week. Feedback. Received some really good feedback this week on the podcast. I appreciate it. Keep it coming. One of the comments by several of my former players was, Coach, I love your singing, man. I got a, I got a real chuckle out of that. I said, well, if you love that so much, wait till I sing the alma mater next week. Presidential debate. I'm sure many of you watched this past week. In no way am I political. Just very disappointed in what I saw. I hope our young people were in bed by the time that debate went on because it was not a good a good thing for them to see. Now more than ever, we need positive role models in the lives of our young people. I hope that we can get it together in this tumultuous time. Just this morning, from the COVID front, I'm sure all of you have heard that our president and the first lady have come down with the virus. Please keep yourself safe out there. And God bless America. And one final observation from this week. On Netflix, I was watching a documentary called The Playbook for Coaches. Some of you may have seen it. The episode of Doc Rivers, basketball coach, who's a great man. The documentary talked about how Coach Rivers used the mantra Ubuntu, which was a African Zulu philosophy, which is basically a way of life that puts caring and sharing and cooperation, compassion and empathy in the forefront and working together with others as a team. Together, everyone achieves more. It was a documentary about how Coach Rivers established that mantra in the 2008 championship season of the Boston Celtics and how the entire program bought into that mantra. 
that it's about we, not I. It's about everyone coming together. It was a very inspiring documentary, and I recommend it to all of you. Again, it's on Netflix, and it's a series called A Playbook for Coaches. Break down! Today's dedication is in memory of James Fatman Arline. James was a captain of the 1992 Goldback football team who died tragically during that season from enviral encephalitis, which is swelling of the brain. I was an assistant at the time. I was coaching the defense. And it was on a Saturday, a very warm Saturday in October, that we traveled over to Hamden, Connecticut. And during the football game, James became ill. He went to the hospital, and he died the next Monday. It was one of the most difficult times I've had in coaching. In James's memory at Newburgh Free Academy, we have a stone and a tree that's planted in the south end zone. It's a place that the Goldback football players know well. It's a place that we go to before every ball game and we pray. We pray in James's memory. We pray with gratitude and humility that we have an opportunity to compete and to live life. We will never forget James Fat Man Arline. James, number 42, was an outstanding young man. And this podcast today is dedicated to you. Break down! Today's team meeting, turning it around in that third season in 1997, we won more football games, nine, than any other football team in the history of the school where football began in 1889. In that third season, 1997, we won our first championship in 27 years. It was the first of five section titles in the next 12 seasons in which we had a 72% winning percentage. How did we turn that thing around? I look back and I reflect on the difficulties we had those first two seasons as chronicled in last week's episode. And in analyzing and working to make sure that we saw some results on the field, because we were close, we were close in that second season. We were very competitive, but we just couldn't knock the door down. It didn't show in our wins, for we were two and seven. The difference in this 1997 season was simply that our philosophy, our mantra started to come into clarity. For we established what we called 
expecting to win. 33 is one. We decided that we were going to turn our setbacks from the previous two seasons into comebacks. And this was going to be a great story. We still had some issues with this 1997 team in terms of buying in and overcoming some of the residues of losing from the previous two seasons. But we started to develop a sense of pride and belief as this expect to win mantra was one that we basically copied. We stole from one of our rivals. For football is a copycat game. And if you want to win in football, you want to look at the people who are winning, who are doing things to be successful. And we started to copy some of the things that some of the successful programs in our district, in our section, were doing. One of the adjustments we made going into that third season was we were going to keep young men on this football team and keep them in the program only if they deserved to wear the jersey. In the first two seasons, I thought that the participation was the most important thing. And I do think participating in football, seeing football through a face mask is critical in a young man's development. But in that third season, I realized that there is some accountability in putting that jersey on. Meaning our off-season program was one that determined whether or not you were a member of the team. And so in our off-season program where we established strength development, where we established speed development, and we worked on skill development, it was mandatory that you participated. Now, I encouraged young men to participate in other athletics, other sports, but we made it possible for them to get their workouts in, even if they were in another sport. We modified the program for we thought that our off-season program was critical in not only getting our players, our student-athletes, ready to participate in the sport of football, but also in developing our team and our chemistry and getting to know one another. The 33 is one mantra was one that I felt going back to my playing days at Newburgh Free Academy, where we were three deep, meaning the first 11 players, they were the gold jerseys. And our head coach would make a big deal about handing out the color jerseys. If you were a gold jersey, you were the first team, and it was your job to keep that gold jersey. If you were a second teamer, you were a green jersey, and you aspired to become a gold. If you were a third-team player, you wore a red jersey, and you were a scout team player. So the goal was always to become a better player. The goal was a red to become a gold, a red to become a green, a green to become a gold, and so forth. And so what we did in that third year was we made it very competitive to be a member of the football team. And if you were not going to contribute, 
if you felt that you were too good or you were not interested in, in accepting your role on the team, no matter what it was, then you cannot be a part of the program. You cannot be a part of the team. Some people will not agree with that philosophy. But that philosophy for us at Newbury Free Academy became one that I feel has worked and one that has been productive. One of the new things that we did in that third season was we went to football camp at the end of June. So when that spring season was over, when we finished with our spring football, if you will, our strength training, our speed training, and our skill development, we went to what we called football camp week, which was down in Westchester, and it was a week of live, full-contact football. I was only able to get 11 of our players to commit to that, and it was the beginning of a tradition in which we would go to camp every year afterwards in my tenure. During that week, we traveled from Newburgh down to Westchester, and we didn't have the money for a bus, and we didn't have money to, to buy uh, the extras for the kids. But what we did was, myself and one of the other assistant coaches, we drove, and I remember driving in my pickup truck, players, five or six players in the back of the pickup truck. It, it, it wasn't safe. I, you know, I thank God nothing happened with, with our football equipment, our pads and our bags. And we came out of that parking lot going into the camp and, and people were looking at us like, who are these guys? They look like the children of the poor. And we competed in that football camp with 11 players against football programs and football teams with, with four and five times as many players, and we held our own. And I remember there was one team from our league that had dominated, dominated us those first two seasons, and they saw us there. And you could see that, that, that they didn't think much of us. And, and they actually were, were, were polite to us and very nice to us because sometimes, you know, when you're losing, you know, a lot of people dislike you. You know, they, they're hating on you, especially people from your community. And they're, you know, they're not giving you much respect. But the people that like you are your opponents who don't want you to be very good. They like you and, and, and they're nice to you because they know you're not a threat and they're going to give you advice and they're going to put their arm around you and they're not going to be fearful of you and your program. But what happened that third season was I started to notice a change in attitude from people that were in our league and they started to have a little bit different look at us because they realized that we could be pretty good. And so coming out of that camp with those 11 young men, and I think I had two or three coaches with me, we 
established ourselves as, you know what? Uh, Newberg could be pretty good this year, but let's wait and see. What I learned from those first three years, those beginnings about what it takes to win, and in studying this over the years, and my advice to young coaches out there who are looking for coaching jobs, I think the first thing that you need to come to grips with is, number one, do you love football? Do you love coaching? Does it matter where you're coaching? Does it matter if you have a chance to win at the job you're at? And the reason I bring those things up is, for me, I'm not one of those guys that love football. I don't want you to take this wrong, but it's not the sport of football that I love. Although I do enjoy the strategy of football, the, the preparation, the X's and O's, I do enjoy that part of it. But what drives me more than loving football is coaching young men, and in particular, going back to my hometown of Newburgh to give something back to coach those young men. And to me, that's different than a guy who bounces around, and I'm not judging those coaches. To me, that's different than a person who wants to coach football no matter where it is. For me personally, I don't really know if I would enjoy coaching in some other districts. Now, in my retirement years, I have gone on and I've been an assistant at some other programs, and I've enjoyed that. But the demographics was much different, and my understanding of those communities was much different than how I felt about coaching in my hometown and giving back to those young men Those young men were just as I was when I was a young man going up through the program. So that's one thing I would say. Understand, is it coaching football? Is it coaching kids? Where you are coaching, how important is that? And then, can you win at where you're at? I think that's critical that you you analyze that and figure that out. Because to me... Your success is based on a couple of different things, namely the demographics in which you're coaching and the level of competition that's in your league because you're only going to win championships depending upon who you have to compete against. There are times when you could be the greatest coach in the world but you may not be able to compete with some of the other programs in your league for different reasons. And those of you who are out there in coaching, you understand that. There are sections in this state, the state of New York, where there may be five or six outstanding programs, but there may be one that's just a little above others, and, they're, and they, they have a tradition, and they have a, a 
a program that's set up where they're winning every single year. And you're good and you're competitive, but you're in a section where you just can't get over the hump. Where if you were in maybe another section, you would be the king of the hill every year. So some of it has to do with where you're located and your demographics. Some people say it's not about the X's and O's, it's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's. You've heard that. And some people will say when you're winning, you have great players, you have athletes, which we've been accused of, if you will, at Newburgh. When we win, it's said by some, you have great athletes. But when you lose, is you guys screwed it up as coaches. And we know how that is. But the truth is, it's someplace in the middle. But you must have the demographics in order to compete. There's perception and there's reality. And some people have a perception of because you have a lot of students in your school district that you have a big pool of football players to pick from. And that's not always true. In some of these inner city communities, not only are you dealing with, is a student eligible? Does a student come to school? Is a student academically eligible and following a lineage to graduation? But do you, do you actually have young people who participate in football? I know in some communities, their demographics are such that you don't have the traditional football population. I know in the city of Newburgh, over the years from when I was a youngster to the present, the demographics have changed tremendously. And soccer has exploded onto the scene. So all I'll say is this. When you look at your chances of winning and the strength of your competition, you have to understand the pool of, of potential players you're picking from. And in that pool, you must recruit and develop. And in that, you have to be realistic as far as how far and where you're going to take your program. In that third season, we went 9-1. and one. And during that third season, we were able to beat our arch rival, Kingston, which is always a major priority in the program. And we were also able to avenge an earlier season loss to another one of our up-and-coming rivals, the Monroe Woodbury Crusaders. And we went on that year to advance to the state playoffs. And one of the biggest lessons I learned from that season and one of the things I regret the most was not having the foresight to establish our goals for where we wanted to be at the end of that season. We had set our goals on winning a section championship. We had set our goals on having a winning season first to defeating our rivals and to winning the section championship. And when that came true and we held up that championship trophy, there was a deflation, as I felt, as we prepared to go into the state playoffs. And I remember that 
you know, it started getting cold outside and basketball season was starting. And a lot of these young men, after we won the section championship, they started looking toward basketball. I didn't do a good enough job in making sure that I had set our goals past the section title to go on and play in the state tournament and to go on and try to achieve a state championship. So my advice to you guys out there is is create meaningful, realistic goals. And I believe a realistic goal for us that season was a section championship. But we should have also established a mindset that we wanted to make some noise in the state playoffs in advance to the state championship. And for that, I have regrets, and I learned a big lesson during that season. Breakdown! In the next episode of We Ready, episode five, we will talk about the family part of football. We ready, we ready, we ready.